My name is Tom Wallace, and I'm the managing partner here at Florida Funders, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today and excited about our guest, Steve McDonald, who's a, a great friend, great entrepreneur, and a very seasoned angel investor who you're going to hear from and meet very shortly. But before that, I just want to introduce you to Florida Funders. For those of you who are not familiar with us, uh, we'd like to say we're on a mission to change Florida from, a, from the Sunshine State to the Startup State. We're focused and on a mission to find fund and build the next generation of technology companies here in Florida. And we think one of the best opportunities we have in Florida is with our accredited investors, because Florida is tied for second, maybe third in the total number of accredited investors only behind California and New York. But unlike California and New York, most of our accredited investors didn't make their wealth in technology, so they're not prone to, to invest in technology companies. They made their wealth in insurance or construction or real estate or whatever. So part of this series is really to help investors figure out why to become an angel investor, how to do it, and what the rewards can be. So with that, again, I'm really excited to have an old friend, a person I've known for quite some time. Steve, excited that you could join us. Before I, I turn it over to you, because so, you have a great background and I want I want our audience to hear about that. I do have to say, as an angel investor myself over the last 25 years, Steve's his last company I passed on investing in, <laughs> and it was a big mistake. I, I think 55x is the numbers I've heard that I missed out on. But hey, that's part of the game, right? Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, Introduce uh, yourself. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, so I guess a bit of my background was I went to school here in uh, USF and Right out of college, I got a job here with a local company called PNSI, and I worked my way up through sales, sales management, and then eventually took over one of the divisions in there. Kind of got the entrepreneurial bug and left that company when my bosses told me that they didn't think there was a future in the internet. So um, <laughs> I left that, and I started a company called Access Life that later transitioned into a company called Tech Health that... We raised about uh, $7 million over a couple of years. That was in 2000. Built that up a little bit. Had to fire one of my partners. We burned through all of our money. I got fired. Um, it's just <laughs> I hate you know, when that happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the real startup story and, you know, all the pain and anguish that goes, goes along with that. After getting booted out of tech health, uh, I kind of mulled around my apartment for a while, and fortunately, finally, a friend came over, and he's like, I got a really good opportunity for you. Easy to meet this guy. And so I did, and th this person, was, the guy's name was Ron Warble. He said, um, you know, I, I could really use what you did over at Tech Health, but I, needed, I need you to build this company in the pharmacy space. I don't know when. I had no money. I'd just been fired from my job. No future. Just decided, well, I got nothing else to lose. I've already jumped off the bridge. So as an entrepreneur, might as well try this. I did that, uh, found a partner, uh, started a company called My Matrix, and grew that up over 16 years and had a pretty significant exit a couple of years ago. Very significant, I would say. Great story. Steve is being humble as he is. My Matrix was a fabulous exit, very well known here in, in uh, the Tampa Bay area. So Steve, on that entrepreneurial journey while you were building My Matrix, and I think one of the things we do have founders in, in our audience here too, what were the some of the things that you learned, lessons learned as, as an entrepreneur 
that maybe even help you as an angel investor today? You know, one of the earliest lessons I think I learned was it's kind of a complicated thing, but it's really learning to trust your gut. And one of the challenges early on, especially in a period like, you know, an internet crash and you raise a bunch of venture capital, it's like learning who to trust along the way. And it, because everybody has different motives and different motivations and not to, not to say that any one person was right or wrong, but having those different kinds of motivations led to different results and different outcomes. For me, getting fired was one of those things that at the time I think was, you know, a big surprise. You don't think that you're going to start a company and, you know, find yourself on the street. And, but that happens. And for me, fortunately, that was a, that was a, a good result. It was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, there were, there were signs along the way in that process that I knew that this probably is not going to end well. And if, had I listened to my gut along the way and that existed there, as well as throughout the whole experience of building my matrix over and over when you make decisions and your, and your gut was telling you that that's the wrong and you do it anyway, because it's like, that's the logical thing to do. Over a period of time, you say, you know what, my gut was right. And you start to listen to that more and more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. When and how did you start angel investing? Fortunately, on the, the, the way my matrix had grown enough and, I had kind of hired a CEO and had taken kind of a backseat role into a chairman role. I was really kind of looking for something exciting, and I'm always looking for the next new thing. Knew that, you know, I really didn't want to start another company, but angel investing was a way for me to keep my eye on the ball, stay in the game, and just an exciting way to, to participate into, in the new economy. And we hear that a lot from entrepreneurs, that they find that, Maybe they don't want to be a CEO anymore. They don't want to be the quarterback on the field, but they want to play. And, it, and being an angel investor gives you that opportunity, not just to participate financially, but oftentimes to you know be the sideline coach. And I know you do a lot of that. You sit on a lot of boards and work with a lot of the founders in the startups that you invest in. In angel investing, there's obviously a lot of work to it. And it's part art and science. What are your thoughts on that? You know, you said trust your gut when you're running a business. How do you look at that from an investing standpoint and uh, help us understand understand that? Yeah, that's, as you know, it's a question you get a lot of art or science. And for me, it's a little bit like sales. You know, sales, in my opinion, is art and science. And I think that angel investing is very similar to that. You know, I think as you go further down the investing spectrum and you're like, in the very early stages where like you're just part of friends and family, it's really whether or not do you like that person and that's it. That's all you can go on. And um, you know that. I know that you've made investments in the people and yeah. people alone. As you move further down the spectrum, it becomes more science. So when you get more into like later stage venture capital deals, there's a lot more science that goes into that because there's a lot more traction. You've seen an industry or a company evolve. But in that early between the friends and family and the later stage venture round, you know, I think it's I think it's still more art than it is science. I think there's lots of mathematicians and and venture groups that try to apply a lot of math to it. Mm -hmm. And I just came back from a conference a couple of weeks ago where basically they said you have to invest in everything because the chances of you missing the one or probabilistically, like, it's going to happen. So you don't know. You just got to throw your money at a lot of them. Yeah. 
Interesting. So diversification is a big part of this. How many angel investments are you up to? It's in the high 90s, I think. High 90s. You've got me beat. (laughs) Maybe by two times. I think I'm approaching 50. You know, if you look at the data on angel investing and how to do it right, a lot of people are surprised by this. But even though it's early stage risky investing, angel investing can and does oftentimes outperform other asset classes like venture capital, private equity and and the public stock market. But the problem that I think many people, the mistake many angel investors make is they don't diversify enough. They're not doing enough deals. They're not looking at enough deals. I'll use my brother as an example here. My brother, I said to him one time, wait, you know, you want to do this deal? He's like, you know, I've done three angel investments and I went to zero. I'll never do that again. Well, you know, if you only do three, what's the chances, right? So that's kind of the opposite of the advice that you got. Let's talk about due diligence, because when you're when you're trying to determine whether to invest in, in this founder and their company, how important is due diligence in that process? And what's the most important part? for you of the due diligence process? So, you know, it depends. There are lots of, you know, I say lots, but there but there are a number of people that have made a career out of angel investing. And I think that for the average angel investor, it's better to kind of find a group of people that, that are doing that professionally and tag on their coattails because most people who are angel investing, it's just not the priority in their life. Yeah. So they're, by diversifying your investments across a group of people that that's their full-time job, yes, typically you're going to have to pay a carry or something along that. But those are the people that are doing the hardcore due, due diligence. Now, of course, here at Florida Funders, we do due diligence and so we have a process around that. So the idea of due diligence is an important one. But I don't think that most typical angel investors have they have the process necessary to make a lot of those investments and be successful at it. Uh, the Angel Capital Association of America has some pretty compelling research on this, that if you do less than 20 hours of due diligence on a deal, your probability for positive returns diminishes substantially. In Florida funders, every every deal we look at, we do well over 20 hours of due diligence. I think one of the things that I learned along the way in angel investing because I started angel investing like you when I was still running a business. I didn't have time to do the due diligence. So I had, this was before crowdfunding and places like Florida Funder, but I had friends that I could trust that would do the due diligence and I pretty much rode their coattails. So, you know, again, we, in Florida Funders, we do a lot of that for our investors. We like to say we take the heavy lifting out of angel investing. You know, and one of the things that we call it is signaling. So like, who are the other people that, that have gone along with that deal? And typically, you know, if you see that a venture capital fund, you know, a well-respected venture capital fund has come in and they're also participating in that, you can kind of trust to some degree, it's not 100%, but trust to some degree that they've done some due diligence. So if you find yourself in a position that you can't do that, then you kind of have to rely on, on a third party. Yes, good, good point. The other thing, too, with the crowdfunding sites, I speak for Florida funders especially, we, we make all the due diligence public on our site so our investors can look in and dig into a company's background as much as they want. So let's talk about that. So on the due diligence process, part of it is looking at the founders. What do you look for in a founder? What is it that uh, excites you and why you want to invest in this founder and not that founder? And 
is the founder the most important thing or do you think it's also the size of the market, the product, et cetera? Yeah, so the, the, the founder is really kind of the most important thing. I guess for me, when I'm looking at investments, I'm going to look at the founder, maybe part of their team. You know, for instance, like these days, we see a lot of, of AI opportunities and, mm -hmm. you know, companies will come in and they'll say, well, we've got this kind of artificial intelligence, but then you probe deeper and they don't have a data scientist. So like <laughs> red flags. You know, there. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's a red flag. You know, we're looking at the traction that they have. And is the founder realistic in their expectations as far as, you know, valuation? Are they realistic in their forecasts? You know, um, don't overpromise and underdeliver. Mm -hmm. Also looking for humility. You know, people that come in and brag about, you know, mm -hmm. their, their degrees or all of this experience that they have is not relevant to the, the, what they're doing today. Yeah. That's a big red flag. And probably, you know, at least for me, and I think mo most angel investors feel this way, and, and I was guilty of this, coming in and asking for too big of a salary is one thing, yeah. or coming in and you haven't quit your job yet, so it's still part-time for you. Yeah. And, you know, but I've got great ideas and I'm, and I'm great and I deserve all this money. That, those are red flags. Yeah, we like to say we like to see a lot of skin in the game. And speaking of the, the humility and the, the ones who are braggadocious, the founders are braggadocious, one of the things we hear them say is, well, I've had two successful exits before this. And of course, we're going to ask, well, if you've had two successful exits, why are, how much of your own money is in this company? And Well, not very much because I didn't. And then you start drilling in on those exits and the definition of success is a little <laughs> yeah. different. Yeah. So uh, we get that. Now, how about the deal flow part of it? Because... I'll go back to my brother as an example here. I'm like, Tim, okay, you invested in three deals. How many deals did you look at to invest in those three? Well, three. <laughs> <laughs> and in Florida Funders, we say we look at roughly 50 to invest in one that goes through our process. Tell us about that. How do you look at that? Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to have a lot of deal flow. You know, when we talk about the diverse, diversification strategy of, of angel investing, if, if you if you don't see a lot of deals, you probably shouldn't be investing at all. Put your money in a you know in a mutual fund, an equally bad you know return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Want to ask you about technology as a whole? So we you know we're at this kind of point. You mentioned the internet earlier in '95. That kind of changed everything. And then 2006, you know, Apple came out with the smartphone. The cloud kind of took off. Or kind of. At that point, again, with a bunch of different technologies, you mentioned artificial intelligence, augmented virtual reality, Internet of Things, IoT, autonomous vehicles, 3D printing. We've got all these technologies coming on, blockchain. Of those technologies, are there any ones that excite you more than others and you think are going to be wealth opportunities sooner than some of those other ones? It gets a little convoluted because, well, first off, like, the thing that's going to make all of that possible is our processing power and Moore's law and all, you know, so, you know, on the hardware side, you know, we've got 5G coming out, all of those things compounded together are creating these other opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, autonomous vehicles, genetic engineering, augmented reality, all of those things are relying on the processing power and then artificial intelligence. So without those two components, probably none of the other things are going to exist. Mm. 
what I am interested in and what I'm what I'm spending a lot of my time doing, you know, research and stuff is around AI because it's actually very confusing. And as as angel investors and here for funders, you know, we see oftentimes people come in and they talk about AI and they're really talking about like statistics and probabilities and it's not real AI. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of peel the onion back on what is real AI and what are the real applications and all of the necessary components to go into successful AI, the future is is amazing. You know, the future of AI will, it is amazing. And so that's kind of where I'm spending my time right now. Although I can't really say that, I don't, I don't know that necessarily you could say that AI is this one thing mm-hmm. and you can invest in AI. You're going to invest in companies that use AI to make very complex products or services um, or solutions. Yeah. Yes. I, and I think you brought up a great point earlier because we see this a lot from our from founders and company prospective companies that come to us for funding is they throw the AI word around a lot. But when you dig deep and try to figure out, well, is this really artificial intelligence or is it more business intelligence and big data maybe, or, or, you know, and I I think your point about who's your data scientist, what's their background, you know, that's a good, good place to start looking to see if it's, it's really truly AI. One of the things that I know you do at times and, and, and many of our investors and partners here at Florida Funders do is you get involved with the company. So you don't just sometimes, you know, you're passive and you write them a check, but sometimes you take a board seat, you get more involved. How do you like to do that? Do you like to do that a lot? And what are some of the things that you as a board member and investor can how can you help a company? First answer. First question. Um, do I do that a lot? I like to fish more than I like to go to board meetings. So the answer to the a lot question is not a lot, but I'm very opportunistic. Steve's a great fisherman, by the way. (laughs) But I'm very opportunistic about it. One of the things that I like about angel investing is it gives me a good window into those companies that look like they may break out. And so it's an opportunity to follow those companies for, you know, a bit more of an extended period, a year, year and a half and see how what kind of traction they're getting. And usually along that time, somewhere in there, they're gonna to need to raise more money or, you know, or recruit a board. And so those are the types of opportunities I look for to, to participate in a board. And the kinds of boards that I wanna participate in are really companies where I think that I can add value, not just, you know, and I do get invitations to be in boards and some really cool companies, but if I don't think I can add value, then, then I just pass. Mm-hmm. And as a board member, do you like to get involved with uh, coaching and mentoring the CEO and trying to help them? Because you've been in that role. You've had a lot of success doing that. I would think that would be one of the best ways you could add value to to a portfolio company. Yeah. And, and I think for me personally, that's one of the things that, that excites me about being on a board. I like working with young entrepreneurs where they don't understand the importance of having weekly staff meetings or investor updates or, or some, some things that accurate might, financial information. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, you know, for instance, like where's your checkbook? Oh, it's in her desk. You know, like, Oh, we just closed $3 million and one person has a checkbook, you know, putting some controls in place and bringing that, bring that perspective of, you know, this isn't a free for all. This isn't a dorm party, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
low adult supervision. Yeah. So I know you've invested in a lot of our Florida Funder portfolio companies. Is it one in, not to put you on the spot, but is there one in particular that you like that, you know, that you think could really break out to use the term you just used? I think we do. You know, a biased, we're an investor, a company, Finexio, it's in a fintech space and they struggled for a bit and they like, they look like they're really on track now and they're, you know, 80% growth rates. And, you know, I, I really like Pickup Now. That's another yeah. really great company that we have. You know, they're growing tremendously. With a woman founder, I might add. Yeah, with a woman Brenda founder. Brenda Stoner. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I think that we've got some really exciting companies that are exciting. Yeah. yeah. Steve, unlike me, because I, I really don't do much of this, do a little bit, but you invest a fair amount outside of Florida and you spend a fair amount of time in the Valley. Yeah. Tell us about that. What differences do you see between the startup community and investing in Silicon Valley, San Francisco versus Florida? You know, the founders in Florida wear ties a lot. <laughs> <laughs> not so much out west. Not, not so much out west. But seriously, like, um, you know, there's certainly value, value expectations or valuation expectations are different. A company that might get a... 20 or $15 million valuation on the West Coast is probably in the neighborhood of seven and a half to 10 here. Mm -hmm. There are more founders out there that have, have been exposed to rapid growth. And I think that excites them and incites them to go out and start their own company. I think here in Florida or in the Southeast, I think it's more more people that don't have that kind of background or experience. So, mm -hmm. you know, from a founder perspective, it's maybe even a little bit riskier than some of the founders that, you know, that we see on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Do you see out there more deep technology where in Florida, I mean, we don't have a Stanford here. We don't have a top engineering school. I wish, you know, we wish we did, but we don't. And just being objective, do you see more technology that's really cutting edge there versus Florida? How, how do you look at that? I don't know. I think that that's a, I think that would be a very broad statement. I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying yes to that. I mean, certainly that you have the Stanford and, you know, it is a hot spot for people to, to travel to, to start their companies. But, you know, like here in, in Florida, you know, we have, um, we have NASA. There's a lot of great tech coming sure. out of NASA. Good point. Previous CTO of Google founded a company in Orlando, you know, an autonomous driving company. So, you know, I think that there's lots of opportunities around here still for deep, deep tech. Yeah, we've, we've come a long way. I think uh, I, I've kind of lost track, but in terms of the number of unicorns that we have in the state of Florida, we've got to be pushing 10. I mean, Chewy, Magic Leap, which my, my nephew just left Silicon or he left San Francisco. He's living in San Francisco to move to Fort Lauderdale to go work for Magic Leap. And, you know, that's something we didn't see maybe not that, you know, long ago. We also have Fanatics. We have Park Jockey, No Before here locally in Tampa as a connect wise. So we really got a lot, a lot of technology going on. You mentioned the Space Coast. We've got the whole gaming industry in Orlando. We've got a lot of cybersecurity happening in Tampa. So I'm, I'm with you there. That's I, th the I think one of the things, you know, Silicon Valley gets so much attention because those companies, the unicorn companies are consumer facing companies. We don't have as much as that. Yeah, you that's know, a good point. Chewy, you know, is one consumer facing company, but most of the others, breakout companies 
or, you know, we don't have that here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. I think that's it, Steve. I mean, this has been great. And I really appreciate uh, all you do for Florida Funders. Appreciate you joining me here today. Thank you to the audience for joining us. And if you have any questions about Florida Funders, please reach out to us, floridafunders.com, or give us a call and we'd be happy to have you in and tell you more about Florida Funders and hopefully get you investing. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom.